Yes, we welcome back for 2016 our vet, Dr. David Tabret. How are you? A nice break? Very good, thanks, Dave. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to be back. And you've got a great topic today, heat stress. Quite mm. timely with the heat that we've mm. had in it recent al- times. Look, it always comes up around this time of the year. <laughs> it's the first show back. <laughs> Danny, you've got to turn your phone Daniel off. Daniel Carrington. I'm sorry, the callers have already started. Already. They've missed us. They've Wrong missed call, us but they're calling your mobile. And they're, yeah. and they're calling us. Oh, already. Now, we're going I'm to talk too. about an important one, which is a dementia in our pets. Well, yes. Actually, it goes even a bit further than that. So we've got our special guest, Professor Valenzuela from the University of Sydney, and how they're using our pets to try and find a breakthrough on dementia, not just for our pets, but for us as humans. Daniel, we've got a special guest joining us on the phone. Today on the show, we've got Associate Professor from Sydney University, Michael Valenzuela, who heads the university's Regenerative Neuroscience Group and talking to us today about a particular problem on how they can use dogs, our canine friends, to help in the fight of dementia on humans. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. My pleasure. Look, how long have you been working on a cure for dementia? Well, it's been a long journey, at least 10 years now. Wow. Um, Yeah, we originally started just through a casual conversation with at the time, the vet of my dog, and you know, he asked me what I did, and I told him I was interested in dementia research in humans, and he said, did you know dogs get this syndrome as well? And I had never even heard about it, and that's how it all started. Wow, that was a good opening. <laughs> now, you've used rats and also canines to be able to help you with a breakthrough. How's that going? Um, it's really a very exciting point in the whole research cycle. We originally started with rats because we just wanted to see whether the whole strategy had legs for want, for want of a better word. And so what we, what we trialed is whether we could, first of all, culture a very specific type of cell, which we call skin-derived neural precursors. So really what we're talking about, regenerative cells that are normally in the skin doing their skin business, but we can take them out in the lab and persuade them to start acting more like a brain stem cell. And so we we kind of perfected that technique in the lab, but the next big question was, if you put them back in a brain, do they survive and do they integrate as brain cells into that host brain? And so that was the first step, and we showed that we could successfully do that in old rats that had memory problems. Furthermore, that that treatment reversed or fixed those memory problems in the old rats. So, you know, that took quite a few years just to get to that point. And then in the last um, couple of years, we then took it to the next step, which is where we're at now, is treating old dogs that have this fascinating dementia syndrome with their own skin-derived stem cells and, and seeing whether we can address the dementia problem that way. So um, you've had a, a breakthrough with using canines? What is it? Yeah, it's very exciting early results. We successfully treated our first dog, Timmy's his name, and he had the full-fledged dementia syndrome, which means you know he has problems recognising his owners and has really poor sleep-wake cycle and you know, barking and getting agitated at night and really generating a lot of chaos in the household to the point where the owners were really wondering whether they could manage anymore. They are the symptoms for a dog that's got dementia, those things that you've just described? That's right. And also very typically they start to stare at the wall and get stuck behind objects around the house. You know, all the kind of things that we can see parallels with humans. And it, and I mean, just to, 
mention even further that if you look in the brains of these dogs with this syndrome, you see um, very much similar Alzheimer pathology that you see in humans. So it's really a natural and very powerful model of human Alzheimer's dementia, but happening in people's backyards quite often, actually. And so that was, for me, a really important test scenario to be able to trial this possible therapy in this very realistic model of dementia in dogs. And so Timmy is our first successful patient. He was treated with his own stem cells last August. And then in November, uh, he had his first formal follow-up tests. And we were really amazed and delighted to see that um, the syndrome had been reversed. So he no longer displayed many of those symptoms that I was talking about. And, you know, for the owners, it was really a, a massive change and meant they had their old, you know, nice dog back again in the household and, and it was really a big, big boost to everyone's quality of life. I know what, um, uh, what you are talking in regards to his owners being a lot happier. I have a, a friend who has got a dog with, with dementia issues and it would be a massive relief for them for those behaviours, those symptoms to stop. So I can only imagine how happy they are with the successful results that you are getting in the trial. Yeah, we're all really delighted and Timmy's still going strong now and he'll have his next round of follow-ups in a couple of months. And so, you know, it's, um, it's an exciting first successful demonstration of this whole strategy and obviously we want to treat more dogs and, and, and see that this can be done you know, reliably and consistently. On our show here at Pet Chat Radio, we, we often talk about how our canine friends can help us humans and what they were bred to do, whether it's hunting, whether it's sniffing out something and, and also being used by the police squad and so forth. But it's amazing that they can also help us in these medical fields as well. So it's really good to hear that that's working so well. I guess the next question I have for you is, is being that the signs are, are so promising uh, so far, are you in need of more canines who do have dementia who could be used in your trial program? And if so, those owners who are volunteering their mates, their pets for this program, um, what do they need to know? Absolutely. We're definitely after you know more interested owners of dogs who may have this dementia syndrome to get in touch with us and, and just find out more about their dogs and they can find out more about the trial. And, and really the first port of call is to go to our website, which is www.rng.org.au and you'll see a story about the trial on the, on the front page and you just follow the links. And, yeah, we're, we're really interested in hearing from any owners of dogs who, who they think may have the syndrome. And... It's not for everyone. This is a clinical trial, so it does involve testing and there is surgery under anesthesia and, you know, it's an involved commitment. But we understand that for some owners, they may think that this, you know, brings value to, to their life and their dog's life. So we're very interested in just starting the conversation. Well, that's, that's really good. And what we'll do, Michael, is we'll put that information up on the Pet Chat Radio website as well. So... That way, uh, any listeners can have access to it really quickly. Thank you very much for your time. It certainly sounds really promising. And hopefully, I guess, if the tests and, and trials work out great with our canine friends, that you'll be able to trial 
uh, a trial lot on humans, I guess that would be the next stage. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're all, you know, got our fingers crossed about that we can see a successful overall result in dogs and then move quickly to humans. Thank you very much, Michael. All the very best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go to Gresford. Hello, Lynn. How are you doing today? Oh, g'day. I'm doing very well. <laughs> g'day, and, Lynn. And so is my uh, dear sweet dog, who will be 17 next month. Oh. On the 16th of March. That is that is quite a milestone, isn't it? It certainly is. Mm. She she has a little bit of dementia as she gets confused at times. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> and she's got um, she's getting a little blind and deaf, mm. but she's doing extremely well. And our poor vet does poorly from us. <laughs> so you've raised you've raised the the healthiest seventeen year old dog you can. Yes, you we must have be doing her. something right. What's your secret, Lynn? I What's don't know. Just love and attention. Well, there you go. That's all we need to know, isn't it? We've we've had her since she was about eight weeks old. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. And uh, does she run around? You've got a bit of room up there at Gresford. Does she? Out in the paddock or? No, she stays indoors and sleeps. And then she lets us know when she wants to go out for a pee. And then she barks at the door, just one wolf to come in. Well, she certainly got you well trained, that's for sure. Did you have any uh, um, concerns with her otherwise or we just need to uh, send, send a letter from the Queen? I send a letter from the Queen. I think she deserves it. Good on you, Lynn. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks I for the I'd call. I give you a happy story. Good on you. That is a great story to start <laughs> off the year with with our first show. We're going to assess on now another old one, but this one's a feline. Got a bit of age about it. Kathy, how are you today? Oh, we've lost Kathy, have we? We seem to have lost her. Hopefully, Kathy. Hopefully, you'll call us back, Kathy. Back we, we were just about to go to you. And joining us is Kathy from Cessna. Kathy, a seven year old pussycat. Hello, David. Yes, hi, uh, Cathy. I'd just like your expert opinion. We're going back to the UK. Um, we've got a seven-year-old cat that was obviously here, mm. and she's very timid, and she's an outdoor cat. Now, my husband says we should take her. I'm worried that she's going back to a cold country from a warm country when she's an outdoor cat. What What do you feel about that? Uh, I think the uh, acclimatisation probably won't be that won't be too much of a problem. Um, right. Certainly, you know, you'd say, well, there's the opposite seasons when you're travelling and things like that. And as you say, overall, it's probably, it is going to be colder. Um, but uh, cats in particular, they're pretty clever and um, they cope with those physical changes uh, reasonably well. More problematic might actually be the sort of emotional or the psychological stress of moving if you like and that can be a little bit difficult and we know that when people even just you know move one street away um, or a suburb or two it can certainly cats can uh, suffer from that psychologically and we talk about using um, there's a product called Feluay which is a spray and actually I bought a bottle uh, last week to use for my cat because um, I've got a stupid dog that keeps trying to um, play with the cat and she's not happy so um, we get this spray it's fell away it's a calming pheromone and it just helps them to cope with stressful events and right. we just spray it around um, various places in the house and then 
as she walks in a room, she gets a whiff of it. Now, what you can do in terms of moving is you can use Feloway for a couple of weeks before so she gets used to it. And then during the move, make sure that the cage that she's in um, can be sprayed with that. Obviously, there's a quite a period of time when you're um, absent from her and she's away from you. Um, so if you can communicate that or send it on, or perhaps she might have some time without it. But on the other end, uh, let's say you get into a house and she comes in, because you can use the Feloway, it's like, well, that's the smell that I had back in Australia and now I've got that smell here. And that that's actually quite a good way to just to ease them into the change of environment. Um, the other thing is that um, you will need to check with the um, various authorities as far as um, transfer across borders and obviously there's quarantine procedures and things like that and that's outside my expertise but uh, there are a number of veterinarians who can help you through that process so I would use the Fellaway um, and I wouldn't worry too much about the climate I think she'd cope all right with that. Alrighty thank you for your call Kathy. we've got Trevor joining us now from Maryville. G'day Trevor. Oh good afternoon thanks for taking the call. No worries. I have a, an eight-year-old male beagle who has in the last three months developed a bit of a worrying trait whereby he'll be just lying there and suddenly twitch and, and shake and jump as if he's been startled from his sleep. Um, you can be walking him and he'll stop and, and shudder and fall to the ground as if he's, he's walked into a wall or he hasn't seen something or something startled him. Mm. I noticed he was running the other day and uh, his legs went from under him and uh, he can just be lying there beside you asleep and then all of a sudden just shakes and wakes up and shakes his head and, and if it was a human you'd say they're having a, a mini fit or something and I was just wondering whether this, this was a neurological problem with the dog or whether something's bit him and he's suffering from some toxin or... Well when you uh, first started describing I was thinking skin problems can sometimes you know they can get the irritation like you suggested but as your description went on a bit further with the different environments and exactly how this is occurring, like collapsing and, and having those twitching, jerking episodes, there, um, I think it is more likely to be neurological and I think you're on the right track there. Um, there's a number of things that can present in that way. Certainly there are, you mentioned about in people, um, different types of seizures and the same thing occurs in dogs. So we do see uh, what we call partial um, the, just, the actual name for these keeps changing, so I'm probably going to get it wrong. It used to be called petty mal, um, but now we, you know, they're called partial motor seizures and there's um, different types of those. Um, so that's a possibility and that involves obviously looking at stuff to do with the brain. So I, I often talk to people that it's, it's like having an itch, but the itch is in the brain and the brain controls everything. So it just depends which part of the brain is irritated that it causes that. The other possibility though, which also falls into the neurological area, is that this could be um, a disease of the nervous, of the long nerves in the body. And there are a number of those types of diseases. It's too complicated to go into just over the radio. Sure, sure. But there are a number of nerve and also muscle diseases. So we call them um, peripheral neuropathies and there's also myopathies. And both of those things, they can be quite difficult to diagnose. I do know in some circumstances, you know, we have to take tissue samples or blood samples and send them over to the United States to get some testing done. So it's not as simple as just uh, 
walking in and getting an injection and everything will be right. But it's certainly a problem that I think needs addressing because a lot of these things do have very effective therapies and um, we don't want the problem to progress. So I think in this case, uh, certainly a visit to your vet and they may even consider sending you to a veterinary neurologist. Uh, there are specialists in this field and they obviously can get to the bottom of the problem um, pretty quickly. Well, certainly giving me some more hope yeah. to go back and have some blood cultures done and some skin samples taken. Yeah, I, I would certainly have a chat to him again about the whole picture, but yeah, I wouldn't have put it down to a toxin causing this sort of scenario. Okay, so, thank you. All right. Have a no good worries. day. Cheers. Paul's got an old dog, I think, haven't you, Paul? Yeah, that, that's Paul from Newcastle. Yes, I have. Um, I just want to ask, my dog, my girlfriend's dog, she's about 15, 16, May, May this year. Uh, she does number one. I know she, she does and that. She just lays in it. Ah, okay. When, when is this happening, Paul? Is it like overnight or during the day or...? Yeah, oh, well, when we leave her in the laundry, she, if she don't go to the toilet, she just do it on the lino, and yep. she just lays in it. So it's not, not when she's asleep, though, like when she's awake. No, no. Okay. The reason I and ask... She lies on it and goes to sleep on it. Yeah, the reason I ask is that um, oftentimes we'll see urinary incontinence in dogs, and it tends to occur more when they're asleep. And in those cases, it's usually due to the tone of the uh, muscle in the bladder, and there is some medication that can help treat that. So oh, okay. when we see a dog that maybe is awake and urinating and then just goes and lays in it, then the thing I would be thinking about is either, well, one, making sure there's enough room anyway, two, that she may have um, some mobility problems like arthritis or things like that, so it's difficult to get around. Um, so she does. Yeah, so when she lays down, it's like, oh, I just couldn't be bothered moving, you know, like getting up. <laughs> Um, and again, there is some treatments that uh, might help her to improve her vitality and her energy levels. And um, I even know, like for some dogs, a really good candidates we're seeing nowadays for stem cell uh, injections into arthritic joints. And it can actually um, modulate the effect in the joint and almost bring that to a halt so that the arthritis isn't causing the problem. So uh, there are some treatments there. Worthwhile? Sorry, do I think it's worthwhile? At her age. Um, well, it depends on what else is going on. And I think this is the other area which I was going to just touch on as a possible cause is the, the subject that Danny sort of tackled today was the dementia. And we do see dogs, as they get into older age, they have what we call canine cognitive disorder, which means they're really not fully aware of their surroundings. And they'll do silly things like laying down in their urine because their brain just isn't working properly. Now, some of those dogs, there are some treatments available but often it's a degenerative disease and a feature of their increasing age. And so obviously you just probably need to give them an area where they can lie, um, where hopefully the urine can dry, uh, drain away. Um, so there's a couple of things. I'd certainly talk to you about. I think there's a few areas you could have a look at there. To in your FM, it's Pet Chat. And Bob joins us now from Hamilton. Yeah, mate. How you going, fellas? G'day, Bob. Great. Good. That's all right, mate. I just want to talk about these uh, storms we've been having. I've got a mm. 11-year-old uh, whippet, and for the last year or so, she'll let you know within half an hour, roughly half an hour, yep. when the storm's going to hit, but she gets all jumpy and nervous and shakes and growls, not growls, mm. you know, mm. whines and wings, and goes on, and ten times out of ten she's right, 
Now, I've, I've been going the same bed 30 years, and I trust him with me life. And he's given me, um, he said, when she starts out, give her a couple of Valium. He's given me a prescription of Valium, and I just, you know, I try, as I say, I trust him with your life. Is that the game, is it? Well, um, it's a really good topic, and to, to be honest, when I was um, planning for today's show, uh, I was talking it over with my team, and I said, what topic should we talk about? And I said, thunderstorms are always good at this time of the year, but I thought if we do get a chance, um, I will touch on heat stress. But uh, we do have, um, as part of our Pet Chat team, Dr. Bob Stabler, who deals with this issue of anxiety for pets and he talks about thunderstorms and I'll put in a plug for him when he's on the show in the next couple of weeks to do that. But in answer to your question, um, very often we do use medication and the benzodiazepines is a group of drugs which Valium is one, there are others. Um, Depending on each dog, some people find Valium is useful, some people find um, there are some other drugs that probably work a bit better. It really just depends on each dog. And it's worth maybe talking with your vet about, you know, is there a, a drug combination or, or some therapies that are going to act a little longer, maybe. See, some dogs actually get what we call disinhibition, which means they actually get a lot worse with Valium. And so you really don't know that until you try it. Um, but uh, otherwise, yes, we do use the medication. Also make sure there's an area where they can go, where they can hide. And very often that'll be maybe in a garage or in a shed um, or inside the house and just let them be in there. That's a really good way for your dog to get through those storm periods. And hopefully we don't have any or too many more for the rest of the season. Anne's with us from Lake Munmora. Thank you for being so patient and waiting there, Anne. That's fine. Thank you. Could I speak to the vet? Yes. Hi, Anne. Hi, um, I just wondered, I've got a problem with a little dog. We mm. we got a, a rescue dog a couple of weeks ago now and uh, he had a, a rash at the uh, at the base of his ta- back mm-hmm. where his tail yep. starts. And it obviously was flea related. Mm, very um, good, yep. But he hasn't got a flea on him now and... Um, but he's scratching and chewing at his body all the time and particularly chewing at his feet. Mm, okay. don't like it because um, I've had a bit to do with dogs and ones that chew their bodies, <laughs> usually you can't fix. <laughs> well, you're right. It's a very frustrating topic and uh, a problem for our dogs. And um, good on you for uh, putting a hand up to look after a little one and, and provide a, a home for this time. Look, I would say it's a very common problem that we see, uh, well, certainly at this time of the year, but more and more uh, all through the year. Um, and you're right, when you when you do see a patch of hair missing over the base of the tail, you've got to think fleas. It's almost a 100% uh, certainty that fleas are part of the problem. And I emphasise part because you also picked up on the fact that he's scratching everywhere else and chewing on his feet. And uh, there are a number of other things. Look, I think uh, he probably has flea allergy dermatitis, but I'd also be concerned that he could have an uh, allergy to grass and pollens, and very often that's when they start to chew on their feet. Um, The other thing I would mention too, without really knowing the background of this dog, when they're very itchy, I'd also check... um, to see if he's had it's a little bit complicated what I wanted to say is that I want to make sure he hasn't got sarcoptic mange Um, and for a couple of reasons one is it's intensely 
uh, itchy for your dog, so they're suffering. Two is that um, unless you use the right treatment, your regular sort of treatments aren't going to work. And three is it can spread to people. So it's worth probably checking in with the vet to see, make sure that we don't have that there. There are some simple effective treatments the overall problem with this skin is that allergic dogs that are allergic to a number of things like fleas, grasses, etc., they are hard work. They really are. And so, you know, sometimes we look at diet, sometimes we look at antihistamine treatment, and in some cases we end up having to do allergy testing and allergy vaccines. And, and uh, Danny, what, uh, you've got uh, some input here too. Yeah, and what I wanted to mention is once you have checked all that information out with your vet and you... Uh, have a solution to the issue there is a product called um, Goodo's Rovers Relief which does help with itchy skin but it works really well at bringing that coat back sometimes that's really hard to get that coat to grow back and within weeks this this product rubbing it on daily brings the coat back as well but you've got to find those underlying problems and I would also say diet is important too with dog foods having a lot of wheat in them these days yeah to be mindful of that all right, yeah, okay. I think a couple of things to try there, and but certainly I'd want to get that uh, checked out to make sure we don't have sarcoptic mange there as yeah. well. Good luck with that. Now we're hearing about Rocky now, our pet rescue animal of the week. Daniel? Well, Rocky's fabulous. Now, if you're after a... Um a lab, and you've wanted to have a lab, but you think, oh, they're a bit big, and you know, I don't, I don't want a big dog. Rocky's ideal because he's actually a smaller size lab because he's a Labrador cross. He's five years old. He's very sweet. He's got loads of affection to give. He loves tummy scratches, and he's also great with other dogs because he's been living in a foster home that's got a female greyhound, and they get along really well. However, he still prefers human company and he loves to be close to you. He's an indoor and outdoor dog. He's happy doing outdoor walks and swing, but he's also happy, as a Labrador normally is, to be lazing around by, by in the lounge room watching TV with you. Um, he, he is great with children, so he's really good around younger kids. But in terms of walking, a strong adult would be ideal because he can be strong um, when he's pulling you all right so if you want to have some um have a look at some photos of rocky and what he looks like just go to the 2nurfm.com website click on the programs and then lifestyle shows and then pat chat and you'll be able to see a photo of rocky smiling at you great smiling photo of rocky and all the details you just heard so visit the 2nurfm website for more details we don't have a lot of time but we do want to touch on heat Mm. stress because of the weather we've had david uh dave look queensland's just been hit by a massive heat wave a lot of humidity And so we know that if we get those sort of conditions here, our pets are going to suffer. And it's a problem we talk about around summer. In particular, the breeds with the very pushed-in faces, they're the ones we really worry about. And I look, I sympathise with people. I've got an Aussie bulldog, and I took her out for a walk, and I thought, oh, yeah, it's cool enough. She really suffered, and um, I thought, oh, gee, I've got to make sure you know she gets enough cooling the things that we really worry about is that it once their body starts to heat up because they don't sweat they can't get rid of the heat and so you get this uh, vicious cycle and we call it the death spiral and once they start down there we really have to treat them uh, as an emergency to be able to stop that and save their life so keep your pets cool watch out for the thunderstorms we heard that and uh, make sure you don't take them for a run in the sun Okay, and that's a topic we need to explore a little bit further when we yep. get some more time. Sure. Thank you for today to our vet, Thanks, Dr. Dave. David Tabrid. Good Goodbye, to see Dave. You. Thank you, Daniel Carrington. Back in a couple of weeks' time. And Pet Chat, of course, back with you next Wednesday from midday here at 2 in URFM.